0: Wumandla on food to dot com mm-hmm.
1: like especially when they go deep like that it like warms the cockles of your heart being a mama if you are a mama or you have a mama this past Sunday was like love fest extraordinary and I think every single one of us in one way or another always tries to show some kind of appreciation for our mother and you expect it back if you're a mother too but you know not everybody's a mother even though they really Really, 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 really want to be a mama. And there when I was reading the estimates getting ready for today's show, something like almost 4 million children in South Africa who don't have a mama to show love to. So I thought, well, in the wake of Mother's Day, this is the right conversation to be having. I'm Pumima Shekho and you're tuned into Wumandla. Yes, no? We're talking about, I want to chat about adopting fostering giving an alternative if you didn't get to have that perfect perfect mother's day and on the line i have got hurt from who's the ceo of the bethany house trust Gert, are you on the line good morning good morning thank you so much for taking my call Thank you for engaging us. So I, I, I had this epiphany in the middle of the night on Sunday night. This show today was going to be about something completely different, but then I thought, no wait, I really have to have this conversation because at the end of Sunday, I, I lay in my bed and I thought about my relationship with my mother and I thought about like the lunch that I'd put together for my mother and her friends. And I thought there's so many women out there who don't get to have this, but want it. But the, adoption process in South Africa is such a mystery and that's why I'm phoning you because a friend of mine is going through the process with you guys tell me a little bit about the Bethany House Trust and and how you assist women that want to be mamas
0: well, Thank you for the opportunity for me. Bethany House Trust is a child protection organization um, in terms of the Children's Act mm-hmm. what that means in simple terms is that we um, offer a range of statutory welfare services um, in terms of the Children's Act, um, the essence of our services is simply that we run child and youth development centers and out of the child and youth development centers, um, we um, um, place children into foster care and adoption programs.
1: I love your website, childincrisis.org.za. I thought that was such an appropriate name for a website and so easy to remember. And when I went to it and I looked a little bit more because I know a little bit about your organization and what you do, um, in particular, the, the, the pregnancy care center that you run. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that and how you help Girls with Unplanned Pregnancies, Young Girls with Unplanned
0: Pregnancies. Absolutely. Um, We've we've got nine sub-programs in Bethany House Trust, of which um, the Pregnancy Care Centre is one of the programs. The Pregnancy Care Centre really started out of uh, the the, the police we had from um, young girls, um, specifically um, of school-going age, who um, um, found themselves with unplanned pregnancies. The program simply um, provides um, services to um, the expecting mother... Which includes um, counselling in terms of all the different options available to her. As a, a Christian organisation, we're a pro-life organisation, but we offer all the different options to the to the um, pregnant girl. And she then exercises options. Um, the services over the years extended to um, include um, a lot of um, students at university and colleges. Um, and in the specific area where we operate, um, we also offer services to commercial sex workers often find themselves with unplanned pregnancies as well, but they have the same same challenges, the same rights, the same um, options that they have to consider. Many of these um, engagements um, end up in abortions. Many of them end up in children being born, being uh, kept with a mum, which is our primary aim to keep mum and child together. Um, but many of these children are obviously um, eventually made available for alternative care, which includes adoption.
1: And, you, and your alternative care. When you talk about alternative care, it's not just adoptions. You're also talking about foster fam- families and uh, fostering children who don't have mothers. Tell me how you pick um, the families that you place children in.
0: Our child and youth care centres um, receive children when they're in the midst of a crisis, whether it's a newborn baby, abandoned. No. in in an alley or whether it's a child that's removed by a social worker or by the police. So initially, the child comes into our child and youth care centres. We receive the child, we stabilise the behaviour and deal with all the peripheral issues, court cases, criminal court cases, children's court cases, etc. But the heart of the project is not that children remain in a children's home setting in a residential care setting forever. Thus, we've developed a programme where we train foster parents um, as alternative parents, um, and that's the exit out of residential care back into families. We strongly believe that children belong in families, and once a child um, is ready to be placed in a family, we link the child up with a family. So in the center of learning where we do the alternative care, we do two things. On the one hand, we prepare the parents, so parents go through a very rigorous uh, vetting uh, process to make sure that we get good quality parents who will offer long-term um, godly families to children in alternative care.
1: Khert, I was very jealous. I, I want you to know that when I was reading up about it, I was very jealous that it's only parents who, who are going into the alternative care because I think all parents need like a rigorous training program.
0: Yeah, we've often said, said that it should actually be made compulsory before people even have children. because so I think um, with the knowledge of the a, of a, a program, Um, you can be be a better parent. Um, So we simply equip the parents to be the best possible parents. How do you do that?
1: And I see it's an accredited course. I mean, you've got Monash University recognizing this course. What kind of topics do you cover in the course?
0: Well, we cover um, all the topics um, that deals with the whole range of, um, of services that as a parent services and in inverted commas, you will offer a child <laughs> I think the, 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 the services the, of yourself services yeah. i think the, the 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 starting point is that we we in, in, engage parents in terms of the reasons why they want to um, look at alternative care often people do it for well people do it for multiple reasons um but um, it's very important when you embark on the journey of alternative care that you know exactly why you want to do it and whether you are capable of doing it. Um, so we really engage you and in, 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 in interrogate your, your motives to make sure that you know what you're signing up for. Children in alternative care um, are not children that you can keep for a while and take back. Um, we see it as long-term placements. So it's important for us that the parents who sign up for the course and complete the course and ultimately is is, is linked with a child knows that it's a forever placement. Um, in all the years that we've done it, we've placed uh, thousands of children in alternative care. In all the years that we've done it, we've had a, about a 2% failure rate, meaning that 2% of the placements that we facilitated failed where the child had, come, had to come back to alternative care. I, I might just mention out of interest sake that the international failure rate for um, alternative care is about 65%, meaning 65% of all children placed in alternative care Will eventually go back to alternative care um, because the placement didn't fail. So we embarked on this program. We wanted to break that cycle and make sure that kids move from residential care, like Bethany House, into a long-term alternative family and have and has that family for the rest of his life. And so far, it's worked well.
1: Gert, You you know that that raises a, a very emotional question for me because as a as a woman, we we're very much loving and we want to have children that are cute and you can press up and you can look after, but the, the children grow and the personalities grow and change. So how, what are the questions that I should ask myself if I'm interested in, in engaging and being a foster parent in adopting a child, what are the questions that I should ask myself even before coming to you that will assist me in understanding what it is that I'm getting into and whether I am ready?
0: For it. I think the, the important um, f- thing to consider is why do you want to do it? You need to question your own motives. motives. Um, it's a big difference between somebody who can't have children who applies for adoption and the motives of somebody who might have children but feel that we can do good and we can offer at a, a third or fourth child a uh, house. And um, the motives of somebody who has lost a child due to death, for instance, is also different from somebody who simply just wants to um, be part of making the community a better place. So you need to um, in, um, you need to make very sure that you know why you want to do it. And very importantly, we're dealing with children's lives. Mm. Um, you, you can't take them for a few days. Um, on and, the bring road, them drive an and bring them back. That's why it's extremely um, stringent training and vetting process. And only the people who remain standing, so to speak, after the course, are the people that we've been <laughs> Remain
1: <with>. standing, <laughs> it's, it's
0: tough. It's tough. Because How long the course? It's, it's about six months. Um, it spans over a six-month period. There's a lot of practical work. There's a lot of hands-on work with children. We want to make sure at the end of the day that two things happen. We want to make sure that as a parent or as a prospective parent, you're not hurt, because parents are hurt in the process as well. Um, we want to make sure that you are not hurt in the process, but... Primarily our responsibility is towards the children to make sure that the children aren't hurt in the process, that they're not placed with the family and then they brought back a few weeks later or the placement fails for whatever reason. Um, so that's, that's why I'm saying it was ever left standing after the course of the people we engage with within to, to do placement. You, you asked earlier, how do we match the people up? We've got different profiles and, and uh, measurement tools that we use to make sure that we match up children in terms of um, gender, in terms of culture, which is a question that, that we have to consider, in terms of special needs. Um, some parents are happy to, for instance, um, look after or adopt or foster children with special needs. Um, and um, obviously, if we look at personality as well. And with those measurements um, in place, we usually make a match that is is, is quite, quite good and a process of um, getting to know the child, engaging with the child, building up a relationship, then commences, which ultimately results in the child moving from the CYCC, from the children's home, into the long-term alternative family.
1: And the difference between fostering a child and adopting the child, I've, I've never quite understood it. What are the differences?
0: It's, it's, there's a huge difference. Fostering means that it's temporary care. Fostering means that a child is in need of alternative care. Um, a social worker would consider... Altern, um, foster care which is temporary care is an alternative and the child would be placed in somebody's care for two years in that two years um, or after the two years um, the situation will be re-evaluated if the child can't go back to his biological family for instance the child might remain in alternative care for another two years so foster care is something that's done in incre- in two year, for two year periods until the ch- child can either go back to his family or until the child ages out of the system, meaning the child reaches the age of 18. Oh, wow. Adoption is a permanent placement. Adoption is um, as if the child was born from, from you. That's, that's how it's, um, it's um, stated um, in the court proceedings. So the they
1: become your child?
0: Becomes your child. The difference, however, uh, or, or the, our approach, the Bethany House approach, however, towards foster care is that the outcome must be the same. We don't place children um, in somebody's care for two years. If you consider fostering, you must also see it as a permanent placement. Uh, because it, And it's obviously the child's circumstances changes, and the child can go back to his family. Um, but in most cases, we know that the child won't be going back to his family. So when you enter into a foster care um, agreement, you also need to have a long-term vision. You're going to have this child when he's 4, when he's 6, when he's 16, when he's 18. Um, it's a lifelong commitment that you have to make in terms of the not only the physical care, but also the emotional and spiritual care of a child
1: mm-hmm. and could it happen that the circumstance of a parent who may want to foster a child and and has a completely different life and lifestyle at the beginning changes would, would then would you take a child back if their circumstance changed if no, they that's, were
0: yeah that, that, that's why um, we have a statutory process where the, The placement is monitored for a period of two years. Every three months, the social worker would engage with the foster family to make sure that the child is fine, to make sure that the parent is fine. We do a lot um, of value-added services to to assist the parent, to to help them through difficult times as well, Um, especially um, families who... If if you um, take a baby in foster care or even adopt a baby, it's much easier in in some respects than taking an older child. Really? If you take a five-, six-year-old child... um, you have to get to know the child on the run, and often the the parent is faced with all kinds of challenges behavioural challenges, personality challenges because you don't know what happened or who this child really is you, you know, you've missed out in the first three four five, ten years of his life, maybe so in that three um two year period where we monitor the placement, the social worker engages with the family on a regular basis at least once every three months we address concerns, might be educational issues, might be developmental issues, might be emotional issues. So we do a lot to strengthen the placement, to assist the parent, and if things go wrong, and we've had placements where um, families um, split up, where parents got divorced, and um, where one parent had to decide, well, I'll carry on with foster care. Um, we've had families uh, placements where the foster families passed away as the children then became orphans again. Sure. We deal with it as it arises. Um, but um, we've we've been extremely fortunate in in terms of the quality of appearance that we've had over the years. It's good quality parents who really have a commitment towards children and um, we're very confident in the process that we follow to match the uh, correct child with a correct family and that has led to a a, a minimal failure in the placements. And if we then simply um, stay in touch with the families and we support them emotionally, um, they they have access to a 24-hour um, Helpline where they can speak to a social worker. So, should your foster child act up at 10 o'clock tonight, or you have a medical issue or a, a query about these educational or um, other development um, issues, you can phone the social worker immediately and you can um, ask advice and you'll get the advice immediately. I think that's what makes the Bethany House program different from many other programs. It's not a hands off program where we place the child and it's out of sight, out of mind. We mm. um, remain, remain engaged with the child. We remain engaged with the parents, and we've put a number of building blocks in place so that the parents can continue accessing the professional services of the social workers to assist them through the placement. With time, as they get to know the child and as things stabilize, um, they don't need us anymore. Um, But initially, in the first couple of months of the placement, there's a need for support to both child and parent.
1: And, you know, the idea of adopting children outside of family is is a very... New idea to a lot of black South Africans. Mm-hmm. How, and, and yet we, we see that there are quite a lot of black South African children who are in need of, of fostering or being adopted. How, how much of an intake? Have you seen a change in the way that people see adopting children? Do you have more black people coming forward to adopt, to foster children?
0: We have couples from all cultural groups applying for adoption and fostering. But we have seen changing trends as well. Um, I think think we've um, seen a lot of black families specifically coming forward to adopt in place. Um, Yes, we're aware of some of the cultural barriers, um, societal barriers that might be in place, but I think with with time, those those things can change and perceptions can change. The long and short for us is simply that we have, in our country, thousands of children sitting in children's homes, sitting in in child and youth care centres, and those kids... Um, actually belong in families. And we've got millions of um, parents, um, many of them quite capable and suitable to provide alternative care. And as a society, we need to find out how we're going to bridge the gap between the child and, and the family. I think we've got a dismal adoption rate of about two and a half, maybe 3,000 children a year in our country. If you look at a country with more than 50 million inhabitants and, and we've got um, close on... I think 25 million young people with uh, hundreds of thousands of of children in children's homes, surely we have sufficient um, resources in terms of parents to accommodate all those children. So in a perfect society, uh, none of our children would have to languish in in child and youth care centres. Every one of those children should actually be in a family because we have enough families. We need to figure out how we're going to get government and community at large, society at large, to engage um, to, to start building bridges to get children back into families, we've got excellent children's homes. Um, the, one of the Bethany's program, I've, I think, is one of the best programs in the world in terms of residential care. But residential care will always be second best to to a family a mom and, and a, a home.
1: Absolutely. And you know, Gert, I mean, I think there are lots of things that that all of us think about when it comes to having children, to raising children, and the main one being the financial implication excuse me the main one being a financial implication and I'm wondering what the cost of the process of adopting a child so once the child is in your care and in your home everybody talks about how much education costs, how much all of these things cost, but the process of getting a child, registering being a, a an adoptive parent, does that have any cost to it? The,
0: the cost to complete um, the death class course I think is in the region of five or 600 rands for a couple to complete the six-month course. And that really just pays for your manual and pays for the social worker to conduct the course over the weekend. So that's the a, a minimal cost. The cost of an, an adoption, if you use a private agency, can vary between a few, few thousand rands to an absolute um, ridiculous amount. I've heard of adoptions of 40, 50, 60,000 rands. We have a... relationship with a couple of adoption social workers um, that we believe charge fair prices for adoptions in the region of about 5,000, 6,000 rands um, to do an adoption um, because there's a lot of um, professional um, time involved and and court time etc and that we believe is a fair price to to pay for an adoption so it is an expensive process yes um, but it does not have to be 50 or 60 or 70,000 rands can actually be more affordable. My advice to anybody who's considering adoption Firstly, you have to do an adoption through an accredited adoption social worker How
1: do um, you know who is credited and who is not
0: if you If you simply go onto the um, Council for social service professionals website um, and you search for adoption social workers you'll you should get a list of all the adopted all, all the accredited adoption social workers, use one of them, ask for a costing um uh, in advance if you're not comfortable with the cost, um, look for another social worker. Um, the, the, the price really ranges between 5,000 Rands and 50,000 Rands. Um, and to, um, in our opinion, um, you don't have to pay um, the top end of the scale. Um, you can find somebody who can give you professional services um, for a reasonable price. One thing in terms of cost that I want to just mention is that when you Foster a child, you qualify for a foster care grant for that child. It's in the region of, I think, 890 rands per month. Obviously, that's not enough to to provide complete or comprehensive care for a child, but that's a government grant that you're entitled to as a foster parent to assist you in um, in raising the child. As a foster child, you also don't have to pay for education. You're entitled as a ward of the state to free education. So you you can apply um, with your court order to your child's school. Now this excludes um, um, early childhood development, but it's primary and secondary school for exemption, full exemption of school fees. So that is a benefit. But the important thing that um, I want to say, which I think is a barrier in terms of many families considering adoption, is the fact that there's no financial incentive to adopt uh, to adopt a child. If I foster a child, I get a grant of almost 900 rands a month from the state. Yes. If I adopt a child, I get no financial support. And we really need... Um, the government to take note of this. And if if they really want to get children into long-term alternative families, they need to give adoptive parents some kind of a tax incentive so that they can adopt the child. Um, and and when we've made proposals as, as a welfare sector uh, to the Treasury on a number of occasions, um, but sadly nothing has come to it. And, and our proposal is simply that um, foster, uh, foster and adoption parents, but specifically adoption parents, in, in, in this case, let's get some kind of a tax um, break for adopting a child. And that will certainly encourage people, not not for the wrong reason, we believe, um, but it will, because we, we are well, other Well, because it does
1: give, it, it really ge- takes, the it, you know, it lightens the load. And for some people, the the cost of having children can be quite prohibitive, you know, yeah, and, and we often, see it every yeah. day.
0: And that's often simply why people don't adopt, because they can't afford to adopt.
1: Yeah, Sure. And and just as a before I let you go, this is your this is your promo moment, because I do know that Bethany mm. House Trust, you are trust and you are charitable trust. How how does that work? How do you get your funds? How can I, if I'm a person listening to the show today, I want to be I I cannot be a foster parent or an adoptive parent, but I would like to be involved in one way or another to assist you in all the work that you're doing. How does that work?
0: Bethany now, as I said, is a public benefit organisation. We're a children's charity trust. we registered with the Department of Social Development. Um, as, as, as such, we get government funding for some of our programmes. So a third of our income um, is derived from government subsidies in, in the form of social work salaries that are sponsored, etc. The balance we have to raise from the community in the form of corporate social investment or from donations from the community. Um, without that partnership of the community, none of the services that we render would be possible. Uh, Bethany House works with approximately 10,000 um, children and young people every month in our different programs, um, and we really need the community to strengthen our hands. We've been doing it for 18 years now, this is our 18th year, um, and we've been extremely blessed that we've had all the resources to do what we can do. Um, but we would really appeal to listeners, to, to corporate specifically, to to get involved, um, any donation that you make in kind or um, financial is fully tax deductible um, because we're a public benefit organisation, so you can claim it back from SARS. Um, we're also a um, compliant BE um, organisation. Uh, more than 95% of our beneficiaries are historically disadvantaged children. Um, so we're an ideal corporate social investment partner um, as a BE entity as well. So we would encourage listeners and specifically corporates to to consider what we do. We always invite people to pop into the children's room, look at the website, come and see what we do, come and meet some of our children, look at our programs. And if you feel that this is where you would, you would like to invest your money, we would um, gladly um, engage with you. We've had ex- we've got wonderful children in our facilities, uh, teach with. Potential, and we would really want the support of the community to be able to place them in long term families and on a permanent basis.
1: And Ger, um, the website is childincrisis.org.za, and what are the contact numbers for people to get hold of you?
0: We've got a 24 hour contact number which is 082, 000, 082 000. Um, Alternatively, the office number which is Johannesburg 011 Double six
1: zero two seven six three. six263tionka thank you so much for coming on and having this chat with me. I think there's a lot of conversations that we can still have and we'll definitely have in the future. Thank you for coming on, Wumandla. Thank you. Business leaders around the globe are committing to building a better world for everyone. Cliffcentral.com is joining forces with the Sympathy Sleep Up, taking a stand for the plight of the homeless. We invite you to participate with us in the Sympathy Sleepout on the 28th of July, 2016. Join the ranks of leaders of change by using your influence for what truly matters. Sign up now for the Sympathy Sleepout on www.theceosleepoutza.co.za.
0: That's theceosleepoutza.co.za. Womandla on cliffcentral.com.
1: Yep, you're listening to Momanda. I'm Pumima Shekho and you're tuned in to Cliff Central. We're talking about being a mama. We're talking about having a mama. And most importantly, we're talking about giving the gift of motherhood. I've got on the line a lovely Callister from Vita Lab. Callister, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Good morning ma'am, how are you? Good
2: morning me lovely, thank you so much for
1: having me. Thank you for taking my call at such short notice. Oh, Callister, such a I have I told you yesterday when I was talking to you that I, I suddenly just woke up in the middle of the night thinking about, oh my goodness, Women know so much about adoption. Women know a little bit about fostering. Women know about sperm donations. But women don't really know about egg donations. That every girl could give the gift of motherhood to a whole lot of girls that are struggling with it. And that's why you're on the line.
2: That is correct.
1: I was also quite astounded to know that there's so many places in South Africa that offer it. Why is this such a little known thing?
2: Sure, I think it's Still a relatively new industry, if we can call it that, um, as we've been doing this for for just over ten years um, from an egg donor agency perspective. And of course, uh, reproductive medicine is is changing and growing each year. So it's still a subject that needs to be spoken about. That people need to be educated about. Um, and and yeah, this is why we're having this conversation. So
1: I remember. Kind of hearing about IVFs and test tube babies, and very recently <laughs> I saw a thing about um, designer babies on the way. I saw a headline yeah. as I was driving about designer babies on the <laughs> way, and as I was reading up just about egg donor, I did not know that the first time that an egg donor had a successful, you know, a person who donated her eggs and the successful birth from that was in 1983. So that's like more than 30 years ago. That's that a while. That is wild.
2: correct. Yes, so Vitalab Lab has been around for over 30 years. Um, and we also performed our very first egg donation case back in 1989. Wow. So it is definitely, it's, it's been around and it's been getting safer and better and more successful each year.
1: Okay, so tell me about egg donation. We get it. I mean, movies talk about sperm donation. It's everybody mm. jokes about like getting in there in a little cup to do <laughs> your business in. Is it as simple for
2: women who want to donate eggs? No. Unfortunately, it's not as simple as it is for guys in sperm donation. I think that's just the lack of womanhood. <laughs> but it is possible. So we accept donors between the ages of 18 and 32. And um, basically what they need to undergo is a couple of weeks worth of treatment. So what treatment they would undergo is basically having some hormone injections, being on a contraceptive pill so that we can plan their cycle, and then going through the actual egg retrieval procedure itself. Now, because of how far medicine has come, our egg retrieval procedure is really quick and painless. It's now done in about 15 minutes. The donors are put under what we call conscious sedation. So it's like being asleep. It it doesn't have all of the risk factors that are associated with anesthetic and going in for a big procedure. With the egg retrieval, there's no cuts or stitches. So it's done under ultrasound guidance, and it's done through a very fine needle that essentially extracts or sucks out the egg from each of the follicles by the ovaries. Sure. That
1: sounds like a thing.
2: First, tell me why 32? Are you ageist? (laughs) Unfortunately, our bodies are ages. (laughs) So um, typically between 18 and 32, you're still within your fertility peak as such, which you hit at about 26. So the whole reason a patient is undergoing a treatment such as egg donation is either their eggs themselves are too old, so they're in their 40s, and unfortunately their eggs aren't viable anymore, um, or they've undergone a cancer treatment, or um, they've hit early onset ovarian aging. So they, they wouldn't want to use a donor who's also 40 and dealing with those same kind of um, effects. They would want to use a younger donor so that we have young genetics within the egg to give someone the better chance of having a pregnancy. And tell me about the uptake. Is this, Is this...
1: I mean, for people who are having fertility problems, but is there an uptake of people that want to donate their eggs?
2: Yes. So there has definitely been an uptake of, of people who are open to this idea. And usually it's because they somehow found out about egg donation through a family member or a friend who's going through fertility treatment. Well, and I must be
1: honest, of, that's how I found out about you. And I kind of like to think I'm like finger on the pulse of life
2: <laughs> exactly so that's that's typically how people find out about it most people don't know that this is legal and allowed in South Africa so as soon as they find out about this they start researching it and then finding the agencies um, we are able to remunerate donors for this process the so same as sperm donors who get paid to do sperm donation we are able to compensate Um, for everything that these girls go through. And it's currently sitting at 7,000 rand per donation. What? Yes. (laughs) So not only is the motivation factor being that they've seen someone go through this, but there's also that financial element. Do you have lots of
1: black girls donating?
2: (laughs) I do, I do. I actually find that um, black girls are more open to egg donation and, and finding out about it and Um, are are very, very open to the topics. Um, We do find it a little bit harder to, to recruit girls that are in religions that maybe don't really allow it or explain very clearly if it's allowed. So there is definitely certain races that are slightly harder to recruit.
1: And what about people looking for eggs? Do people come there with a particular profile? I'm looking for this, you know, tall, dark and handsome. Gorgeous, slim girl, all of that kind of stuff.
2: (laughs) No, typically what they're looking for is themselves. Because they can't use their own egg, they would still like their child to look similar to them. So typically we try and look for donors who look similar to the recipient. Yeah. So it's not like, I mean, in sperm donations, sure, there's couples who are a single woman who come in and say, give me the tall, dark and handsome or blonde hair, blue eyes. But within egg donation, it's a very personal thing because you as the mother are going to be carrying that child and it will be your child. So you want to have some kind of similarity and connection with that child. So looking for someone who's physically close to you is typically high on their priority list.
1: And are there downsides you know is there a downside to this experience I think it's wonderful I think if you could you know if you could donate your eggs and let another girl be a mommy yeah I it's mean, wonderful really, but are there downsides
2: no there's no downsides from the donor's perspective I mean as a donor you'd be coming into a fertility clinic that has world-class care and you'd be essentially be getting your own fertility assessment we would be evaluating you to see if you're able to be a donor so you'd have incredibly good screening and care from that perspective, plus then you'd be doing this wonderful thing of giving someone the gift of life. So um, in, your, in your period, within your cycle that you're donating eggs, what most women don't realize is in your menstrual cycle, you'll lose about 100 to 1,000 eggs every single menstrual cycle. So what? you're not donating eggs that you could have used yourself. These eggs would have been lost in that menstrual cycle. How so many- you're not losing anything as a donor.
1: So I need to know how many eggs you harvest at a time.
2: So it varies from donor to donor because that's really a capability based on the donor and their own situation. But on average, it's between about 16 and 20 eggs. That would be which which would be harvested in in one donation. Wow. And then
1: what do you do? Do you harvest eggs and then freeze them? Or do you harvest eggs as you're going to use them?
2: Correct. So we actually have South Africa's first egg bank, which means that we harvest eggs and freeze them, and those frozen eggs are then utilized by other couples. So that is the way that we are changing the face of egg donation currently. What used to be in effect is that you would align the donor cycle and the recipient cycle to do a fresh donation. Mm. Meaning as soon as we retrieve the eggs, we fertilize them with the partner's sperm, And five days later, we have embryos and we do a transfer. So whereas now with egg banking, the couples are able to look at the different profiles available of the eggs in the bank and make that decision of who to use and then begin their treatment. And how long do the eggs live in the bank? With our freezing technology, it can be indefinitely. Wow. So this is also a very, very important topic for ladies, which I'd love to discuss with you at some point. Is I am sitting here.
1: Callista, I want you to know that I wish you were sitting across from me because I am sitting here with my jaw on the floor. There <laughs> Most people are. are
2: so and many things. So you could freeze you these eggs school. indefinitely. So you can freeze them indefinitely. And this is what's so important with egg preservation. So if you're a young lady and you're still pursuing education or you're still pursuing a career and you're not ready to be a mom and you don't want to end up using donor eggs or going down that route, freeze your own eggs now and use them in ten years' time when you're ready for your own children.
1: Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and how do so do medical aids pay for this? I have to ask that question. Do medical oh, aids pay for this or is this like a big fight?
2: No, no fertility treatment whatsoever is covered by medical aid currently in South Africa. And it's a fight that we're having with the medical aid companies on all levels. There's associations that are fighting this, there's clinics who are trying to fight this. Infertility is a disease and it should be a recognized minimum benefit, but currently unfortunately there's only one or two medical aids that will partially cover some of the treatment but the majority of this has to be financed out of your own pocket
1: and what does, so as a donor, there's a potential to earn money, there is that's (laughs) exactly it but as a person who is Getting the donation. So if I want to have the treatment, what are the kinds of fees that I'm looking at? What does sure. it entail for me to actually come in
2: there? I need a donation. All of that. Yes. Yeah. Well, it's expensive treatment. I mean, within an egg donation cycle, you'd be undergoing IVF and a lot of other procedures as well. So typically you're looking at packages that are between 60 and 100,000 rand.
1: Sure.
2: That's how much one treatment will cost. And sometimes it will take one or two treatments before you achieve a pregnancy.
1: And what typically then are the success rates of carrying a pregnancy to, to fruition? Um, what What are the typical success rates yeah. for that?
2: So At the moment with egg donation, um, IVF, we're looking at fantastic success rates of around 60% which is phenomenal if you look at them in comparison to normal artificial insemination or IVF statistics. And it's because we're using young eggs that have really good young genetics.
1: Mm, I see.
2: Yeah, so I, I mean... If anyone who's listening is interested in egg donation and they are between the ages of 18 and 32, they just need to go onto our website. There's all the information available for them to read through. Um, There is a few requirements like we do need their BMI to be less than 29. We do preferably need them to be living within Gauteng to donate at our clinic. If they're outside of Gauteng, they can donate at other clinics and to have them a trick currently,
1: that's the requirements of being an egg donor well the, so have them a trick when I was reading there, there are so many fascinating things on the web and just finding out how in other countries the the criteria that people yes. look for when yes. they're looking for an egg donor some of them are kind of looking for a particular i q you've got to be educated yes. to a particular level you've got to, there are so many boxes to tick.
2: Correct, correct. So you, you just
1: take the basic ones?
2: We tick the basic boxes here in South Africa. You know, this isn't, this isn't an industry that we're trying to boom, you know. We're in the States. This is such a good financial industry <laughs> that they just keep adding and adding on. They start adding on degrees and IQs and all these different things that, that they would want from an egg donor. Whereas you must understand that our patients, their ultimate goal is to achieve a pregnancy and have a baby. So what's important for them is just to find someone um, from a donor's perspective that would help them achieve that. They don't have unrealistic expectations. So that's why we keep it to the very, very basics of what we're needing within an egg donor. And then obviously it determines once they're here at the clinic and they go through screening, We then need to ensure that their bodies can do this. And and not everyone will be approved to be an egg donor.
1: What kind of things get you thrown out from being an egg donor? So
2: we, we run a lot of blood tests. So obviously we screen for HIV and all of your different STDs. So if a donor comes back as being positive for any of those, we unfortunately won't be able to use those donor eggs. So that's really one of the things we do. Another thing is a very technical term called the antral follicle count. But basically, this is assessing the ovaries and their potential to produce the eggs. And there's a certain level that we would look for in a donor.
1: Sure. And the, the you spoke earlier about doing a hormone treatment for the girls that donate. What, what kind of hormone treatment would that include?
2: So we're looking at the usual ones that are related even to your contraception. So estrophores um, and uh, progesterone, all of those. It's an injectable that they take once a day. Um, it's a self-injectable. So similar to what diabetic patients use, that pen where you inject it into your tummy, it's, it's that same kind of idea. It's just certain drugs that we use to help stimulate the ovaries. Self-injecting so, injecting would definitely rule me out. Pardon?
1: Self-injecting would definitely rule me out.
2: Same. Some people say that and then they come into our clinic and allow the nurses to do it because we are very flexible. So if you are a little bit scared of needles, then we're able to do it for you, no problem. Or you can bring in a a partner or a mother or a friend who can do those for you. Mm -hmm. And it's a very short amount of time. You're typically on these injections for about 10 to 12 days only.
1: Within a cycle?
2: Within a cycle, yes. Within one donation.
1: Could this be like a viable income stream for someone?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, there is limitation. So with our South African law, you are not allowed to have more than six live birds from one donor. So there is a restriction on how many times you can donate. And also for your own body and your own health, we don't typically advise that you do it um, straight after the other. We allow a three-month resting period between your donations and then typically no more than two or three donations a year at most
1: speaking of the legalities yes.
2: what are,
1: what what are some of the broad stroke what's legal what's illegal if somebody is considering being a donor what what are the things that would make one go hmm bells ringing here maybe this is not such a reputable place right
2: so, the big one is the remuneration. If someone is willing to pay you more than 7,000 Rand as an egg donor, they are not keeping to the regulations of the country. Sure. So, that is a big red flag for all girls. There are some clinics out there that are back in clinics that are offering 10,000, 20,000 Rand per donation cycle, and those are not keeping to the regulations set in by our health board, which is 7,000. So, that would be your first. The other would be is ensuring that you're dealing with medical professionals. You know, coming in and seeing the clinic and seeing that there are doctors and specialists who are working on you and not just some kind of um, clerical or administrative staff. That would be another red flag. Sure. And as a as a person that's interested in
1: getting a, an egg donated, what are the things that I should be asking a medical um, practitioner about donors, What are the things that I should ask about my donor or should know about my donor?
2: Right, right. So you as a recipient, you have the right to view what we call a profile. So that will contain physical information. It will contain their medical history, their family history. You're entitled to all of that information. Unfortunately, all donation currently in South Africa is anonymous meaning that you'd never be able to see the adult photo of a donor or the real name of a donor. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. So within that profile, all you would see is possibly baby photos or early childhood photos of that donor to give you an idea of of what they look like. And there would be a fake name that you would see. But basically, that's what you'd have access to. And of course, just asking the medical professional that they have passed all of their their blood tests um, and other precautionary screening.
1: Calista, it has been an eye-opener. Thank you for coming. I'm still, I'm I'm kind of, there's so many things running through my head right now. I'm definitely going to get you to come in in here and sit across from me so I can look you in the face and go, are you for real right now?
2: (laughs) (laughs) That would be lovely. There is so much to chat about. And with women's health, there's just so much education that's needed so that a woman can make that decision of when to start a family, how to start the family, What should she be doing? What should she ask a gynae when she's going for her regular checkup? All that kind of thing. There's so much good content here. And
1: I think my absolute, absolute last question is, if I'm a single girl and I need an egg donated, but I also need a sperm, can you guys hook me up with that? So could you hook me up with the full embryo?
2: (laughs) (laughs) That's essentially it, exactly. We would help you with either a sperm donor and an egg donor Or in some cases, you do get what we call donated embryos and you'd be able to look at that as well.
1: Donated embryos.
2: Donated embryos, yes. So this would be from maybe a couple who themselves have gone through fertility treatment. They've fallen pregnant, had all their children, but they still have viable embryos that are frozen. And they then decide because of their situation, they would like to help someone else. This
1: has been... For real. Thank you so much, Callister, for coming through. Again, the the website Vitalab, this is your big moment in the sun. So (laughs) how do people get hold of you?
2: Where are you? Sure. So yes, yes. The company name is Vitalab and our website is www.vitalab.com. We are situated in Stanton here in Haateng. And um, we have our own egg donation bank and agency within the clinic, which is called Vida. And so, all possible egg donors can go look at www.veda which is v-e-d-a. dot c-o. dot and they'll get all the information they need and more on there.
1: Callister, thank you so much, and have a lovely day. Thanks so much. You too for me. <laughs> I'm Pumi Shekho You've been listening to Womandla, chatting about fostering, chatting about donating your eggs. Girls, there's so much you can do to give one other girl the gift of motherhood, the awesome, awesome gift of being a mama. And to say goodbye, this is one of my favorite songs. And all my life, I thought this was like a love song. And then I find out that Roberta Flack actually wrote the song in the middle of the night, in one of those sleepless nights when you a mom, you know all about that, after she had had her child. It's called The First Time Ever I Saw Your Face. You've been listening to Wumantla. Womantla on cliffcentral.com.